Well, hello there, good evening and welcome to that Haunt Guy podcast. Your home of hauntings, true crimes, maybe the odd cult and well, anything else on that spooky side of life. My name is Mark and I'll be your disembodied voice of a host this evening. The year is 1974 and a strange new form of belief is just starting to find its grip in the mind of a few ill-fated souls. A belief system indeed that would lead to one of the worst mass suicides to take place in American soil. How did a supposed prophecy lead to a religion that included aliens, spacecraft and telepathy gain followers? And how did it end in such tragedy? I invite you, dear listener, to sit back, relax and spiral in with me as we explore the death cult that was Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate all began with one Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. He was born as one of four in Texas on May 17, 1931, son to Marshall Herf Applewhite Sr. and his wife Louise Applewhite. Now his father worked as a Presbyterian minister and due to this Marshall Jr. had a very religious upbringing, which would be the starting catalyst for things to come let me tell you. In 1952, as a young man, he received his bachelor's degree in philosophy and then subsequently enrolled in the Union Presbyterian Cemetery, a training college for those hoping to enter into church service. He went there to study theology in hopes that he would one day become a minister just like his father. Around this time he also married a woman called Anne Pierce and they went on to have two children together, a boy and a girl named Mark and Lane. He served for two years in the Army Signal Corps, and in his adult life he ended up teaching music for a time at the University of Alabama, before he moved back to Texas where he worked as the chair of the music department at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. It did seem to all those in his community that Marshall led what most would deem a normal life. He was a man both devoted to his family and to the church. Over the next few years, however, this would all fall apart for Marshall. In 1968, his perfect family life seemed to begin to fall apart and ultimately ended in divorce. Then in 1970, when he was aged 39, he left St. Thomas University. He claimed emotional turmoil as the reason. However, some accounts state that he was actually fired. And this was after school administrators found out that he had an affair with a male student. Now, there have been various people try to ask the university for comment over the years and they have always denied this. One year after that, his father died and this brought him into a deep state of depression. The depression so deep indeed that it led to Applewhite hearing voices and he took it upon himself to check into a mental institution, both to help with his depression and also so they could, in his words, cure him of his homosexual urges. During his time in the institution, in 1972, he formed a close friendship with one of the nurses who worked there. Her name was Bonnie Lou Trosdale Nettles. Now, she was a married woman with four children, and although she had had a religious upbringing, it was said by those who knew her at the time that she had moved away from this in her adult life when she pursued her studies to become a nurse. It is unclear exactly how these two met, however, Applewhite has written down his recollection of it. In his writing, he recalls that he was visiting another person who he was friendly with in the hospital, and then Nettles entered the room. He went on to say that when she saw him, their eyes locked in what he calls a shared recognition of ecstatic secrets, which basically means that he believes that with one gaze they fully understood each other's deepest desires. 
Now, as we'll come on to find out, Applewhite is no stranger to exaggerating the truth, and like, trust me, that is an extreme understatement, and it's also known that he believed everything happened as an occurrence of fate. There are other conflicting reports from people that they completely met out with a hospital setting in a theatre when someone was injured, but either way, whatever the reason, Applewhite believed that they had an instant spiritual connection, and Nettles also believed the same. And this is due to the fact that although she had moved away from religion, she kept a deeply rooted belief in spirituality. Indeed, and her husband knew this all too well, as her marriage had actually began to deteriorate before she had even met Marshall Applewhite. You see, she would frequently tell her husband that she was being visited by a 19th century monk named Brother Francis. She would claim this monk would speak with her and give her instructions on what to do with her daily life. And her marriage would truly start to wilt when Brother Francis began to tell Nettles she had to start calling on other undead souls. This resulted, and much to her husband's dismay, on Nettles turning her living room into a parlour where she would hold seances, and on Wednesday nights mysterious characters would show up to her home to speak to the spirits of the beyond. They affectionately called themselves the Circle Group, although uh, my dear listeners I'm sure you will agree this is much more interesting than your standard knitting club. Nettle's daughter, Terry, would also partake in these weekly seances, and she recalled in future interviews that her and her mother would regularly acknowledge that they both felt like outsiders of what most would deem normal society. Her daughter has also went on to say that they would go out and look at the skies, looking for shooting stars and UFOs, all while talking about how wonderful it would be if a flying saucer would just pick them up and carry them away which is a very interesting pastime for what is to come, let me tell you. In her spare time, Bonnie would also visit different fortune tellers, and she would later tell Applewhite that they told her that she was soon to meet a mysterious, tall man with light hair and a fair complexion. Which is very vague, but yet could be taken to mean Marshall Applewhite. The more the two would talk, the more they would realise that their beliefs spiritually aligned, and this done nothing but further Applewhite's view that they had an intangible connection. During their conversations, Marshall would come to learn that she had a keen interest in astrology, and this led to him encouraging Nettles to do a reading relating to the two of them. Upon doing this, Nettles found what she believed to be an uncanny alignment in the stars between herself and Marshall Applewhite, and this was what they believed was the proof that they were meant to meet by some means of fate. Marshall Applewhite was the mysterious man fortune tellers spoke of, and Bonnie Nettles was the one who would help him make sense of his beliefs. You see, a few months before their meeting, Applewhite believed he'd been given a revelation while walking along a beach in Texas. He claimed that an unseen presence had given him knowledge of where the human race had come from and where it was going. Now that he'd met Nettles, he believed that she, with her ability to stitch together beliefs into cosmic alignment, would be the sage, and him, the speaker. Meeting Bonnie would twist together his beliefs, and he would use his past ministerial training to preach his beliefs to the world. With their beliefs now intertwined, as were their futures, the two took to the road on New Year's Day 1973. During their travels, Applewhite would tell Nettles of his divinations, and how the old answers of spirituality were no longer satisfactory to his new spiritual questions. 
Due to this, he began looking into more obscure areas of religion to try and find some meaning behind what he was now receiving from some unknown presence. He would look into the teachings of mystics, he would go on lone retreats to the desert, and he would even take deep dives into literary writings of authors such as Arthur C. Clarke. Now, please remember listeners that these are the authors of complete fiction, and Applewhite would spend weeks poring over these books trying to find some hidden meaning in science fiction novels. Whenever he believed that he was having a breakthrough, he would take these to Nettles, and she would use what she now believed was her beyond earthly ability to stitch these together to make some semblance of sense for their shared spiritual beliefs. This was ultimately the catalyst for what would become the Heaven's Gate cult. This is because Applewhite came to the conclusion that what people once thought were angels were actually UFOs. In the early days of their travels, they met a woman called Sharon Morgan, who joined them for some time. Now, Nettles and Applewhite would only refer to her as Chela, which meant student in the ancient language of Sanskrit. I'm not 100% sure if I pronounced that right, but let's go with it. Now, the reason for this choice was never truly known, and I can't find any answers anywhere, but I did see one article that said it was really just to make them sound more travelled and knowledgeable. The two as they were now referring to themselves, would sit Sharon down for hours at a time, and Applewhite would talk at her, or in his words, lecture her, all while Nettles would sit silently by his side. Soon enough, the two realised that Sharon would not be so easily swayed, and although she was clearly a woman trying to find her own spirituality, they did not like the fact that she had a mind of her own. Very often, the things Marshall Applewhite would preach to her would cause her to furrow up her face, and this would lead to Applewhite and Nettles becoming deeply offended, causing them to interrogate Sharon on why she didn't believe them. This is something she has uh, since mentioned, that she now realises they didn't want their sacred gold spun into someone else's brittle straw. Very poetic, Sharon. Now, Sharon started to have her doubts about the two when money became involved. They would use her credit cards on occasion, but this is not why she became disconcerted, no. It was actually when they wouldn't use her credit cards she began to have her doubts about the two. You see, very often they would not pay their motel or food bills, and they would in fact choose to leave quickly before anyone noticed. When Sharon once confronted the two on this, they would lecture her that they obeyed no earthly laws, and they would quote the Bible at her, stating that the Lord will be as a thief in the night. And this really just examples their cherry-picking from different religions and spiritual aspects that further their own desires and beliefs. When Sharon had joined them, she had also left her two young daughters behind. And no more than four weeks into her journey, she began to feel the gap of guilt that she had left them behind creep up on her. As luck would have it, they were soon to stop in Dallas, and Sharon actually had a friend here, and the two allowed her to visit them in hopes that this would alleviate some of her concerns. Now, the day when she arrived and she went to greet her friend, her friend had not come alone. No. In fact, her friend had alerted her dear Sharon's husband. And her husband threatened Sharon that he would have her committed to a mental institution if she did not return home with him straight away. When she got home, she tells of the relief she felt when she saw her two children. Her excited two-year-old she remembers running straight across the room to hug her and... uh, She did notice that her six-year-old hung back for a moment. When Sharon looked at her, she says that her six-year-old just asked her if she was planning on staying. And then Sharon instantly replied, yes, I love you so much. 
and with that, Sharon Morgan's days of searching for herself was over, as was her time with Nettles and Applewhite. Of course, the two did not react kindly to this, claiming that Sharon was forfeiting her place to reach the level above human, and naturally took her leaving as a huge setback to their cause. Not only had they lost their sole disciple, no, they had lost their only source of income. And just to add insult to injury, Sharon Morgan's husband had taken it upon himself to call the police and report the two for committing credit card fraud, as they had been using her credit card while on the road. Now our dear Sharon, although leaving the two, did regret that she had caused them such pain and grief in doing so, and she actually tried to get the charge dropped, which it was done a few days later. During this time, however, the police ran a background check on the two and found that Applewhite was wanted for stealing a car in St. Louis. You see, nine months before he'd rented a car and driven away in it, never to return, and this was the car he was still using for his travels with Nettles. Applewhite was quickly convicted and spent the next six months of his life in jail. The two had certainly hit rock bottom for their new spiritual life on the road at this point. While in jail, however, Applewhite used this time for deep contemplation and during this time he wrote a concept for his cosmic vision of the world, which he sent to Bonnie Nettles. And this is what he wrote. Bonnie. The idea a good life leads to heaven is as silly as believing that if a caterpillar dies a good caterpillar, it will mysteriously awaken in a rose blossom and lie there forever with the king butterfly. People, like caterpillars, must go through a chrysalis stage, overcoming their humanness in preparation for life in the next level. The apprenticeship requires a teacher. Jesus was one, sent by his father. Now, 2,000 years later there are two more, a man and a woman. A demonstration of their truths will come within months. Like Jesus, the two will be killed only to be resurrected in a cloud of light. This awesome cloud is what humans refer to as a UFO. In 1965, Applewhite was let out on early release with this newfound revelation, although at the time he was unsure of how to put his calling into action. Nettles was there to meet him at the prison's gate, and the two, now reunited, decided to head for California. When they arrived there, they decided that the idea he had penned to Nettles during his jail time would now be the mantra they would go by to recruit people to their new spiritual awakening. One of the first responses they received was from a 72-year-old man named Clarence Clung. <laughs> My apologies. A 72-year-old man named Clarence Clung. Now, Clarence already had a reputation for himself. <laughs> I can't go over his name. Clarence had a reputation for himself around the California area as being a mystic and a seer. And he actually already had a following of his own. He ended up inviting the two to his friend's home, a fellow psychic named Joan Culpepper, that is also a great name, with the intention that the two could have a meeting with his students as well as Culpepper herself. In the end, 80 people showed up to a gathering in May of 1975. The two made their entrance and took seats by the fireplace, with the majority of the crowd sitting on the floor. Applewhite, of course, used his public speaking from his past ministerial training to lead the talking to the group. He started by claiming, We are the two prophesied by revelation. God has sent us here as an experiment, so you might call us Guinea and Pig, which is the first of many pairs of names the two will come to be known as. 
Over the next 30 minutes of the meeting, Applewhite explained his revelations and that Bonnie was the sage who made them all make sense. He gave the gathered crowd a final note that this is who we are and this is what we believe to be the truth and if our messages spoke to anyone in attendance here, you should follow us to the level beyond human. They then, however, went on to state that anyone who did decide to follow them must obey everything they said. And this included giving up their earthly possessions, their family, their friends, and even their entire identity. Now, our resident psychic with a great name, Ms Culpepper, actually believed the two to be beyond ridiculous. During the meeting, she would audibly laugh and ask sarcastic questions. She would call Applewhite Mr Pig. And later said that she did not believe anyone in attendance would find this a life-changing experience in which they would find a spiritual home with these two charlatans. Needless to say, my dear listeners, she was very, very wrong. Over 25 people in attendance were in fact hanging on to the two's every word. This was of no surprise to the two, of course. They knew that by going in there with their now deeply held core beliefs and appealing to people's emotional natures, they would begin to make the connections they needed for those who had not found their spiritual homes. Because of course, let us remember, this was California in the 1970s and it was becoming a hotspot for new age and eccentric religions to crop up. And the idea of taking a spaceship all the way to heaven definitely appealed to these notions. And what made what the two was saying appeal even more was not only was it new, but it had some roots in traditional American religious views that heaven was a real place. The only difference was it wasn't attainable in the ways spoken about in the Bible. And this was the enlightenment that many had been searching for. Within days, the two now had a solid following of 20 people who were prepared to give up their entire lives in order to reach the level above human. The two now believed that they were shepherds of a spiritual flock, and this is where they coined their second pair names. They now called themselves Bo and Peep after the children's nursery rhyme. During this time, their followers had many questions, such as when will the spaceship take them away? And Applewhite, or Bo to his followers, claimed that unrest would not allow them to advance to the next level and that they must exercise patience. He did, however, try to quell their worries slightly so as not to lose his new followers, and he told them that the UFO could come any time, probably within the next three months and definitely no longer than one year. And this indeed secured the short-term following of these individuals. Over the next few days, Applewhite and Nettles began to devise an agenda for their newly formed group. First, they would have to ensure they had the dedication of their followers before making their newfound flock back up in their own image. They decided to take inspiration from the likes of Mormonism, and this is when they decided to send the members of the group out two by two as missionaries to preach to the world their new spiritual religion. Now, before they could reach the world, they decided to send them out across America. At this point, however, Applewhite and Nettles had little money, and they provided no monetary help to these new missionaries, instead telling them that being penniless was in fact one of the tests to help them move to the next level. During this time, it was recalled by some ex-members that they had to endure scorn by the public, homelessness, cold and fatigue from days to even weeks of near starvation. And what was interesting was, the two never preached to these disciples the virtue of taking foods and shelters without paying, as they had done with our dear Sharon Morgans. 
Two months passed and the followers that had endured their missions were told to meet the two at a campground in Wyoming. And now a few had dropped out by this point, but most of them did in fact return. As a reward to these faithful followers, they were permitted to be at future meetings when the group went public to help recruit new members to the religion. And with this, the group began to arrange meetings. At this time, according to some ex-members, the two were becoming more and more shy about discussing UFOs, but those in attendance at their meetings were there because the advertising discussed what flying saucers really were and why they were visiting Earth. Soon enough, these reservations were alleviated from the two when their numbers started to grow, with more than many willing to abandon their possessions, families and lives in order to join the UFO cult, as it was beginning to get known as. And those who joined used this name with affection. They even joked that if they were to be a cult, they would be the best cult out there. One meeting was so successful indeed that it resulted in 20 new disciples joining the religion in one night. You see, in these meetings they explained that it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and they would still be able to help their families when they advanced to the level beyond. Meaning that leaving them now would only be a temporary test, which was enough for many of them to give up their family lives with the promise of one day being able to help them from a more ethereal realm. One woman indeed, Susan Storm, wrote to her family to say, The only way I reconciled leaving you is that I can help you from the next level, God's Kingdom. Of course, with many families now starting to be torn apart by the two spreading their New Age alien-inspired message, the police were contacted by some families, detectives by others, and of course, the press began to take an interest. One evening the story got brought to national attention by CBS News, where they broadcast to the USA a score of persons from a small Oregon town have disappeared. It's a mystery whether they've been taken on a so-called trip to eternity, or simply been taken. Of course, the followers at this time were ecstatic at this broadcast, as it finally meant the two would get the attention of the nation and they could carry out what they had been preaching. And this was the demonstration where they would end up being killed, allowing the rest of the group to ascend to the level beyond human. This, however, was not what the two wanted. In fact, they received the one thing they didn't want from a broadcast of such. Scrutiny. And due to this scorn, Applewhite and Nettles went into hiding. And with that, listeners, is where I'm going to leave this tale for today. Until next week, that is. This is a two-parter. I have to get you to subscribe somehow. I'd just like to say thanks for listening to me today. I, of course, would be Mark, or That Haunt Guy. You can feel free to follow me on this podcast or any future ones and on Instagram at That Haunt Guy, all one word. But apart from that, have a night filled with supernatural curiosity and... Watch out for that entity behind you. Until next time, stay spooky.